You're listening to Travel Tales with Virgil. Hello, Fergal O'Keefe here and you're very welcome to the podcast. We can't physically travel right now, but there's nothing to stop us armchair travelling when hearing great travel stories. I'm delighted to say that we have a brand new feature starting today called Travel Insiders, where I will be interviewing industry experts about their love of travel, travel trends, their favourite destinations. We start today with Paula Canila, the travel editor of the Irish Independent. On Thursday, we have Holly Rubenstein from the UK's number one travel podcast, The Travel Diaries. Paul, you're very welcome to the podcast. I'm delighted to have you. Thanks, Emil Fergal. Good to see you. Just wondering, a love of travel that got you into travel journalism or travel journalism that got you to love travel? Yeah, that's a good question. I haven't heard it put like that before, but it's an easy answer. And the answer is it was a love of travel. Um, This and I can pinpoint it. I know a lot of people it develops over the years, but I do remember a particular trip I did when I was in college and I hadn't, I'd done, you know, as we grew up as kids, we had traveled around Ireland and, and, and spent summers in Wexford and in Kerry. And we had done the odd trip to, you know, camping in France, taking the ferry from Cork over and spending two weeks in Brittany, that kind of thing. And, um, it wasn't until my first really exotic trip was a trip to uh, Moscow. And this happened when I was in college. I had a cousin who was living over there and working over there for a while. And I said, I'd go, I'd go and um, visit. And it just from the get go, the, the, the kind of the Indiana Jones style uh, intrigue of getting yourself over there. I didn't quite put a whip and a gun into my suitcase, <laughs> but <laughs> I had to travel with about a gazillion uh Rubles wasn't it the local currency? I had I tra- I flew with Aeroflot. I I remember that they this was back in the day when you know you were smoking on there was smoking on planes and the the crew had their luggage tied in with those little stretchy elastic things you use to keep stuff on your bike carrier. And I arrived into Moscow free. It was freezing cold and there was not a sign in English. And I had gotten this, you know, no mobile phones, no internet. It feels like a completely different era. Um, my cousin had told me, you know, which cars were acceptable to get lifts from because there wasn't a, a taxi system. I remember taking the underground full of marble, these regal palatial uh, uh, stations, but of course, nothing in English. And I had written in my little notebook, how to read phonetically the Cyrillic alphabet to try and pronounce where I was going and hoping I'd get off at the right stop. And I managed on my first trip to get off in um, a red square in front, I come up out of the ground and look at St. Basil's Cathedral, you know, the iconic onion shaped domes you see, they're like a combination of sort of Eastern exoticism and Willy Wonka just right in front of your face. And I just felt that that combination of adventure, of having to dig deep into myself to be resourceful, learning about the culture on the hoof, and then seeing these iconic sites that I had only seen before from the movies. It just really, 
got its claws into me and I had ups and I had downs and I was high one day and then you'd be really frustrated because you couldn't figure something out the next you'd walk for hours and couldn't find the museum or shop you wanted to find and then but then you'd 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 come across a magical moment like that and that I was young I was in my late teens or early 20s when that happened I was in college <clears throat> I was studying English at the time so it was a real kind of an explicit coming together for me of those two things. I always loved writing. I liked travel, but now I had a sort of a deep um, need for it or kind of an, a, a developing addiction. <laughs> so <laughs> that was kind of the point where now I couldn't foresee the path that was ahead of me at that stage. But that was the first time I remember noticing, um, wow, can I put these things together? You describe it really well. I, I think that's the thing that people who love travel it's, is they actually love that uncomfortable feeling when they go to a destination, you know? Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think, you know, it's not every trip I like that side of me brought out in. I'm quite happy to lie on a beach. I'm quite, I'm quite happy to go and stuff my face at a seafood restaurant where I don't have to do any work at all to find it <laughs> or to just drive down the road and go. I, I'm speaking to you from uh, Greystones in County Wicklow here where I live now to go down the road and take a hike. They all they all do it for me. But the, the, the trips that, you know, when you're distilling it down and you're asking about the most memorable stuff, the stuff that really brought you into this dialogue with yourself that I love about travel, the, the trips that, that made me learn, that awoke that in me are those ones you're talking about. Absolutely. And, you know, now that you're a travel writer, um, when you go away, does it affect your holidays? Do you look at things differently now? You know, are you always on the lookout while you're away? Can yeah. you relax? Are you on duty? Yeah, I am. I'm a, I'm, I'm quite an obsessive person and I do find it tricky to be in a new place and not to explore the complete pants of it. And uh, that has absolutely, I, one, my, I have a wife and two kids. My kids are 10 and 14 now, but yeah, we've been, tra we've traveled a lot together and it's on holidays when we've booked time off. Yeah, it can be a bone of contention because I'm kind of let's rent a car and let's let's get going at eight and let's get here and then have a swim there and then see where this road takes us and visit this museum. And and, uh, and whereas the others are like, hang on now, we're just finished school and work and we have our eye on that lounger and we want to sleep in. So, um you know, we, we, we're, we're all well used to each other at this stage and we're, we're able to argue our cases. And, you know, I'll, I'll end up going off on my own some days and packing the days in and then other days we'll all go together. And But, yeah, I do have a, a real – I, I, I'm not one that enjoys the, the long flights and the packing and the organising of the visas and the lining up everything but I just when I step off that plane or I come out of where I'm staying the first morning I, I just come alive and that that's really stuck with me through all the years I, I that's that's what I love about travel and it's kind of an idealistic thing that has stuck with me I I really feel that by traveling we learn more about other people we learn about the, the the different foods they eat the different religions they practice the the way they they dress the way they communicate and speak to each other and treat each other and 
by learning about that, you realize just not how different we all are, which is obvious, but also how similar we all are underneath it. And I do, I feel that's a really important life lesson. It's one of the things I'm missing about it this year, to be honest. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking, actually, while you were just saying that, is that now that at the moment that we can travel and hopefully next year it'll become a possibility, but it's made me appreciate what I love about travel more. So it's not just the being somewhere, it's the learning, the reading, the culture of the country or the history of the country. So I still want to do that more than ever now. Yeah, has have, doing these podcasts, I'm sure it's kind of, has it has it scratched that itch or has it just got you more frustrated than ever you've no, got oh no it, it's completely scratched it for me i have to say because you know it, it gets me thinking about places and i just i get such a buzz out of hearing people talking you know about stories about it reminds me of mine and you know for me travel is as important the planning of travel and the actual travel and then thinking back afterwards about the travel you know so this is the planning stage now that I'm thinking and I and I enjoy that as much. Or the thinking back about previous travel. Yeah, absolutely. Do you find the, that? I do. I, I find that's probably something I don't give enough time to is looking back. I, I'm I, I like it because it, a lot of the trips I do are work related. There's a huge amount of processing of what I experience going on. So when I'm traveling, I have my camera I have my notebook, I have my phone. When I come back to wherever I'm staying in the evening, I'm sitting down and I'm writing notes and I'm editing pictures and I'm thinking what kind of content is going to come of this? Is it going to make, you know, a destination feature? Um, How could it work as a radio item? Um, a photo gallery is this particular thing good for video or not good for video so as I go through I'm really processing the trip in that sense Um, I do I the way I work is I tend to on the road I'll do all the notes and a basic edit but my rule is always you know that's that's traveling with the heart you write down your your feelings what you're smelling what you're tasting what you're hearing in the moment what is unique? What could you not recapture two months later when you're trying to cast yourself back imaginatively? And I, I end up coming home with this colossal amount of notes and pictures and material, but then I will let it sit. And maybe a week or two later, depending what the deadlines are, I'll dig in and that's when it's from the head. So that's when you start editing and chopping and kind of being a bit more ruthless and going, that's not going to make a story or this is going to make a story. and. So by the time I'm done with all of that, the trip has been so intensely experienced, planned, noted, and then produced into content that I, I almost don't spend much time looking back on the pictures. It's interesting. Imagine. Yeah. And so you, you've probably like interviewed loads of people over the years. Is there any destinations that come up regularly that make you go, gosh, I'd like to go there? Yeah. People, well, you know, I'm, the, the question I get asked, most often is what's your favorite place and that is the one question i can't answer (laughs) um i i just don't have one i i am driven by a desire to see new stuff um to meet new people to go to new places and i'm always searching for some when i'm trying when i'm looking at the year ahead and trying to develop something 
you know, a schedule of travel. Um, and hopefully I'll be able to do that next year or 2022. I, I do tend to look for newness. Um, you know, there's a corny travel writing cliche in, in response to that. What's your favorite trip? And the answer is the next one. And <laughs> I, so that's kind of the driving force. But that said, um, there are places that I have been that people do come back to again and again. And for various reasons, um, New York is an obvious one particularly Irish people are absolutely head over heels for that city. And I agree. I think it's the greatest three or five day town on earth. And I go back to that, um, you know, not every year, but definitely I've been back several times and trying to get back. And the thing of it is that that city is never the same. There's it's, it's always in flux it's like that Heracletian river of mythology that you can never step in the same uh, water twice. There's always something new in New York. There's always, it always reminds you that you're just a speck of sand on the beach in contra, you know, on this planet. And I just love getting back there. And I find that Irish people know it quite well. So when we're covering or writing about um, somewhere like New York, you always have to go that extra bit deeper into it. It's not enough to say, go and see the Statue of Liberty and the Empire State Building. They really would go, what, really? But uh, but over on, you know, on the Upper East Village, I found this amazing deli that you can get the best sandwich and take it to this park you've never heard of. You know, and a regular re- a reader will say that to you. So they really know New York really well. Um, I found up to up before, before COVID, um, Japan was coming up increasingly. I don't know if you've been to Japan, but there... I have. I've been to Cup. Tokyo, but yeah. it's it's. I've been to, I've been to Tokyo a few years ago for work. But it's funny because um, I had a girl called Holly Rubinstein on who who does a travel podcast in the UK, the number one travel podcast, and Japan Japan was the place that she said comes up time and time again as well. So yeah, what do you think is going on there? Do you know what? It, it's because it's so different. So I was saying to her that like that movie lost in translation, like when I was there, it was like I lived that movie and that's what it really is. That's what it's like there. So it's so different. And it reminded me when you describe Moscow, it's the same thing. Even the signs, not being able to read the signs. And, you know, I think for a lot of people, you know, they get out of their comfort zone. But and so maybe a lot of people mightn't even do that as often. Do you know what I mean? So they love that. So it is quite spectacular. So different. You know? That's it. And I think, well, Japan had a kind of a wave of publicity with the Rugby World Cup. And then it was supposed to have the Olympics this year. They're, they're hoping to have them next year now. Um, it, it was front of mind for a lot of people. And up to this year, the access had been improving. There were several different ways you could get there. A new route had opened up through Helsinki with Finnair. And it is, I think the other thing that... It, people it, that attracted a lot of travelers is that it's it's very safe very clean and the people are so polite and friendly that you can immerse yourself in this complete cultural um let's call it like an alien landscape where everything is new and you're just reeling from it but at the same time you feel completely safe Exactly, And I think that's one of the attractions of it. It's very much like in, in terms of Asian countries and global trips, very much just sort of a first world nation. But I, I just, I, I, I've been twice 
I've traveled widely and the, the, that crash between the, the sort of super futuristic side of things where your, your, your toilet seat is operated by a, a space control panel. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you, you, you walk down the middle of Tokyo and, and you might see, um, a, a, a cat cafe followed by a, a, a you know, a, an ultra glassy modern skyscraper and a, and a, a, a bullet train station beside you. And then you can, you can step into a park that is manicured and unchanged for centuries. And it just feels quiet. And like, it's you just a couple of steps has taken you back centuries. And I, that's what I, I love about it. And you, the, the more I, I dug into Japan, the more people I spoke to, the less I knew, I felt I knew about it. It's just one of those countries. It's just endlessly intriguing. Tell us on on your travels, where is the most unusual place that you bumped into an Irish person? Because we always bump into them <laughs> everywhere we. <laughs> yeah, I love that, and I I hope so. You know, someday someone will answer that and say, "I met this travel writer for the Irish Independent, and and in the weirdest place, and what was he doing?" <laughs> I I that's it's a good question, and you. It's almost like it's not surprising, isn't it? Now you can exactly. go into a someone behind a bar in Tokyo, or do you know someone working in a Safari Lodge in in Kenya, or wherever it may be? You're just not surprised if you go, "Oh, here's Seamus, and he's been working for us for years." But one one encounter comes to mind. It was in Lima, in Peru. And I was there to do a story for National Geographic Traveller on the food scene in Lima. As you know, food and travel are really go hand in hand at the moment. And more people are traveling because of food than ever. And Lima is was this sort of Latin American culinary um, hotspot. It was just taking off. This was a couple of years ago. Restaurants like Central, um, people like Gaston, Curio, um, the, 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 the Lima, we think Ireland is, um, is a country for the potatoes, but Peru has over 3000 different varieties of potatoes. And there, the, this combination of, of, of sort of a natural larder and the coastal landscape and the, the, the meats and the, the traditional f- foods coming together with this, um, kind of fusion culture that the, the country has was just anyway i'm getting sidetracked here but the, the 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 what i want to give you is this sense of this this culinary scene was just taking off and it was a really exciting place to be and i was so i was walking around the markets and i was eating the restaurants you know it was tough work <laughs> no it was actually a brilliant feature to be doing and i i went into this ice cream shop and I, I heard a voice behind me, a guy going, is that an Irish accent I hear? And there was a guy standing behind me and he had also come into the ice cream shop. And he said, ah, I said, it is. And where are you from? And he says, I'm from Dublin. Where are you from? And I said, well, I'm, I'm born in Dublin, but I grew up in Galway and now I'm living in Wicklow. I'm like a, an Irish blow in wherever I go. And, you know, very quickly your conversation comes down to where are you from and who do you know? Yeah. And he says, um, I work for this company called Sul Nua, uh, and we do this thing called the Ice Cream Index. And every year we decide what's the best ice cream in the world. And here I am uh, tasting an entry in Lima in Peru. 
And I said, wow, I'm tasting this ice cream because I'm doing this story for, you know, National Geo on the food. And we just kind of looked at each other and laughed. <laughs> and in that moment, you know, this this sense of um, isn't life gas? And it's funny where you find people. And we had our ice cream and we had our chat and then we went our separate wow. ways. And sure enough, back in Dublin, I bumped into him again. <laughs> Do you know, I, I probably should change that question to like, is there anywhere in the world where you didn't bump into an Irish person? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Was we ever afraid or scared when traveling? Was there ever? I, I have been and for various different reasons. I, I like I, I have um, I'm in my 40s now and I have two kids and I travel differently now. My attitude to risk has changed. My My number one priority is my family and I'm not going to put myself in stupid situations but I did in my 20s travel with a, a, a different attitude to risk so I did a lot of um, stories in developing countries and these weren't always about travel writing I did a story on uh, landmines and in Angola and the, the 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 legacy of the landmines that were left in civil war after the civil war there um, and I did other stories on um, malaria and the work of Medicine Sans Frontier. And I also traveled through Rwanda to the Congo when a volcano erupted in a city called Goma, called Nyirgongo. And I traveled with a photographer at the time on a lot of these stories. Kim Horton was her name, a fantastic photographer. And we, so those stories involved, I suppose, elements of, of, of natural disaster and danger and moments where, like, on, I remember in Angola, we had to drive for hours and hours on these roads with the signs on the side of the road, Perico, Minos, danger, mines, Um. So those those kind of situations, absolutely, I was fearful in. So situations like that, my career and the stories are are sort of peppered with them from that time. I've also, I mean, taking wrong turns in neighbourhoods, being followed, uh, n- narrow escapes like that, uh, muggings. <laughs> I've been there. I'm thankful <laughs> that I'm a careful person. I... One of the the tips I always give to 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 travelers is local advice trumps anything you're going to read by the likes of me or in your lonely planet or in your rough guide. This simple True. simply asking your your at your hotel reception or asking the bartender where is is okay to walk. What happens if I have my camera around my neck here? Show them the map. You know, give me a brief indication and feeling your way through so i mean i i'll not never knowingly put myself into a situation where i'm going to be in trouble now now. the the one i always think of for me was um i was traveling with emer my wife before we were married and uh, we were in bolivia and we did that road from the old youngest road from uh, la paz down to corioca and that was, I mean, it was a single lane on a minibus. I remember getting into the minibus and uh, there was an American couple saying, you're lucky, this is a good driver. And it was just a sheer drop looking out the window all the way down. What do they and call remember, that road? Is it the road of death or something? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's called the most, da- the most dangerous road in the world, which I yeah. didn't know. I didn't know that at the time. <laughs> and, and it's actually, they've stopped buses and um, cars going down it now. You can only cycle I remember being so scared 
uh, I did a will by email, sent it off to my brother in case uh, anything happened to me on the way back. <laughs> and, and a week after we did the road, a minibus fell off and there was a couple of Irish people on it. But it's funny, I could relate to what you said. That was before I was married and had kids. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I remember one, uh, another story that we were doing um, also in Angola, actually, where there was an outbreak. Speaking of pandemics, <laughs> this wasn't a pandemic, but there was an outbreak of Marburg disease, which is which is an absolutely horrendous viral infection. And um, while we were in a remote hospital at, at a patient presented with a possible case and we were just thinking oh my god and we we managed to catch a flight a, a, a sort of a, a supply flight out of there and there was an electrical storm as we were flying back to this the capital Luanda and I had those two those two things coming together I remember sitting on the plane and having a moment like that just thinking my god when I get down I'm getting in touch with home and I know what's important now. Please just let me get onto the ground and not uh, and have my health. So you you, you know you not all trips are th- are that sort of shocking and dramatic, but they do. It circles back to what we were speaking about at the beginning that it gives you this perspective and this fundamental underlining of of what's important. Yeah. And I think so. Sometimes when you're just stuck in routine at home you can sometimes lose track of that so that's one of the things i love about getting away is you get that jolt it's like an immersion in cold water you're reminded who you are where you are what you're about what's important it's like a reset i love that about it and you know what what it for me traveling makes me appreciate ireland more so when I go, you know, even that silly thing of coming back from holidays, if you're in a hot place and you're flying in and you see how green Ireland is as you're flying into Dublin or Cork and go, wow, yeah, it is a beautiful, and driving home and seeing the green fields, you know. There is nothing like that feeling. I, I get it still. I might be away for three days. I could be in London. I could be in Berlin, somewhere relatively close. It feels like a universe away now. But when you come in, over that tapestry of fields uh, into Dublin or Cork or Shannon, wherever it may be, there's a, this this little glow in your heart. And I, I remember first feeling it when I'd been away in when in my teens, working in Germany and then in Canada as a student, being away for two or three months. I had this explosive love as I came into land, just feeling almost high. And that, so I, I, I just love that feeling of coming home. I love it. I remember, um, you know, I, I spent a year in Australia and I was working in a hotel in Broome in the west coast of Australia. And I used to fill the fridges in the morning with alcohol and I, the TVs would be on and MTV was on and Boyzone or one of those bands, a video was on and they were on the cliffs of Moher. <laughs> I was nearly in tears <laughs> watching the video. And actually the place in, in Broome, it never rained. So one day it lashed and we're, I was with Emer and we're on the beach and we're just standing there, just pray, you know, mm. like so happy to see rain, you know? Yeah, Funny. that's it. You can take the what, Irish people out of Ireland. What we did on that trip was just to get to see a bit of green. We, we flew to Tasmania because that is similar ish to Ireland. So get to see something, something like Ireland. So Oh, wow. Yeah, that's that's somewhere I've never been. No, and, and it's funny speaking to someone like yourself. I, I get this sense of you know I'm pretty well traveled, but there are so many places. 
that I want to get to. And mm-hmm. I found this year has kind of reinforced that sense of what a privilege it is. Has it done that for you? Do you feel that? Yeah, but it's also made me go, gosh, we're only here for a short period of time. Yeah. So, you know, there are lots of places on my list and it makes me go, yeah, I really want to go to so many places that I want to see, you know. That's interesting. And I wonder, will this year change how we approach travel? I've been following a lot of the industry research uh, on this, obviously, and a lot of customer or consumer sentiment surveys are saying that people are starting to rethink how they will travel, that people are using words like meaningful, conscientious. Uh, there's a phrase like travel better, sustainability. I think there's a, I feel like this year has, has made me feel like someday might not come. Yeah. If we have another chance to go away, I might spend more. I might want to get it right. I might want to be there with my family, with my mum and dad, have a trip that we all remember where we know our money is kind of going to somewhere ethical. To exactly. it's, it's not being flushed down the toilet and we're not going to sort of be frustrated by crowds and, and, and uh, inferior experience. And I wonder is, are we breaking from travel now just for long enough to allow that reset to happen? Or will the first sign of 99 cent flights have us rushing back, you know, trying to get away every weekend? Um, and I think that's a key question. I'm just fascinated to see how that falls. You know, it's funny, it's funny you say it because I, I just saw, I saw a tweet that you'd put up about sort of echo lodges or places to go mm. around the world. And that was exactly what you what you just said it got me thinking like just say last year i went on holidays our family holiday was a tour de mont blanc with the family Mm. walking around mont blanc and it was a lot more work to organize and effort etc but we got so much more out of it yeah and i do think people would be a little bit more imaginative now doing that and and also was outdoors so it's safer theoretically you know what i mean things like that so i do think you're right yeah that's another word that's coming up again and again in in feedback and research outdoors uncrowded nature uh i think you know city cities face a huge challenge in terms of 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 how they're going to bounce back and i think they may have to fundamentally rethink how they market and advertise and organize your tourism but the flip side is that wide open spaces national parks rural ireland you could say have an opportunity um but but i mean it's still as i said talking to you today it's just complete speculation because none of us know how 21 is going to turn out and none of us know how long this recovery is going to take in march we thought you know we might have a summer but i've seen the uh, I read a report this week that um, w- the, a prediction, and this is the most pessimistic prediction I've seen, that travel may not return to 2019 levels till 2029. So we just don't oh. know. Just don't yeah. know. Exactly. And tell us, um, you speak there about Ireland. So if you had a summer house, where would you put it in Ireland and where would you put it abroad? <laughs> That's a good question. You're, you're, you're like drawing me into nailing some county colours to a mast here. And I'm always yeah. reluctant to do I that. Know. Do you know, let me answer this by saying I, I've some, throughout my life, we've sometimes said, you know, this place is so nice. Should we 
buy a holiday home? Should we aspire to doing that? Should we get a timeshare? Should we get a cottage? And I've always quickly come around to saying no. And it comes back to that um, that urge to, to see new stuff I that I, much and all, as I love returning to favorite places around the country, that the, the, that notion of going there for months every year. No, and everybody is different about this. I don't, I'm not casting aspersions one way or another. I just prefer to get around and see it new. But let, let me give you a couple of things that are coming to mind. Uh, we had a wonderful trip to the Bear Peninsula um, a year ago. If you haven't been to the Bear Peninsula, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, you will know it, I'm sure. One south of the Ring of Kerry and it, it's similarly wild, um, widescreen vistas, just gorgeous landscape, ocean, heritage, seafood, beautiful, but not a tour bus in August. Not one tour bus did we see. Um, I, I love, I try to get to every, most places in Ireland at least once a year, um, if not circling around, you know, every every year and a half or so. And I I could have this whole conversation with you about Donegal or about Sligo or about Waterford or about Wexford or about Ireland's hidden heartlands. I just, it's it's like as you speak to, and if we looked on the map and we said Leitrim or we said Cavan or we said Westmeath or, or Kilkenny or wherever it might be, you think, oh, that's tiny. But the minute you land on the ground... <laughs> This universe opens up, and I'm also conscious as well that when we're when we're covering travel for the Irish Independent, we really want to reflect the full breadth of the country. We don't want to make every weekend glorious and all as it is about West Cork or Kerry. Um, I, I think abroad, if I was going to build a holiday home, I I take some convincing not to put it on the Greek islands. <laughs> um, I'm a swimmer. Uh, a swimmer who has trouble with the cold. So I'm not one of these new uh, dry robe um, guys and gals that I see. Um, I, I just can't deal with the, the freezing sea temperatures, but I love the sea and I'm into it any chance I can get, wetsuit or not. Um, and the Greek islands, the Kiklades in particular, um uh, as I speak to you, there all the memories are just coming back to me. The, the 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 clear seas, the simple fresh seafood, the honey, the feta cheese, the the lunch under the shade of the pine trees, those tiny white churches dotted on the hills, and that slow pace of life where it's okay to just fall asleep from twelve until three in the day, <laughs> and. Yeah cap your day with a walk in the warm evening air and that that sense of isolation of but but a sort of a sophistication to the the food and the culture and and the water i just love it and and so if if i had a zip line here to that place and i could go there week in week out that was Is there a particular great. island that, that would stand out or are they all just um, I, I've traveled there a couple of times. One story I did, uh, one of the greatest assignments I ever got was to do uh, a, a full eight, eight or ten page spread on the Cyclades uh, for, wow. for a National Geographic traveler. I just thought, oh my God, 
this is this is why I've worked so hard all these years for an assignment like this. So I, I've been a couple of times, but for that that trip, I spent about two weeks traveling around, and I I, I did obviously the um, the the uh, Mykonos and oh the name of it is escaping me now. Naxos Paris. Yeah, Paris and uh, Naxos. Loved Naxos. Naxos is one of my favorites, but I'm thinking of Santorini. Sorry, that's the one. Uh, so I did the crowded ones and was trying to find the off the beaten track stuff on them, but it wasn't until I got to places like Naxos and there was another island called Milos, another island called Sifnos, yeah. where you start to shake the crowds. The, 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 they're, they're less uh, sort of, um, less of a kind of a, a systematic tourism. Now, all of Greek. Greece is geared towards tourism in the summer and that's fine. But these are kind of places where in September it's quietening down and people still take the time to chat and, and the prices aren't outrageous. And you feel like if you walk or cycle or swim around the next corner, it can be just you. So those, those are three. Naxos is somewhere I've promised I'll bring back um, my family to Naxos. I don't know if your listeners will will know it, but it's quite a large island as they go. It's got lovely mountainscapes. Uh, it's good for cycling and walking if you're into it off season. Uh, so it's big enough to have ground to explore and to find villages that are completely untouched by tourism, but also to have a, a tourism infrastructure if you're into staying in resorts and stuff like that. Um, and there was, there was one other island called Paxos, which is the other is is in a. A different ar- archipelago, but look, he- here we are. The minute the minute I start oh. talking about it, I go down this rabbit hole. <laughs> I know I did the same. I pick. I have to say, and you mentioned there about the food. Is mm. food important to you when you travel? Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 hugely into food. Uh, I I'm the chef in our house. Uh, I. I, it's not something I was born with. It's something I picked up along the way. It's it's for loads of different reasons, not least the fact that Ireland's food has gotten so exciting in the in my lifetime. Uh, if I think about from when I, I took that trip to Moscow in my very early 20s and the next 20 years, um, w- we've gone from, you know, a nation wondering what pasta was and eating Angel Delight for dessert to to a place that's that's just producing some of the most exciting cheeses and 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 seafood and breads and uh, beef and lamb in uh, on the continent if not on the planet and and putting them together in brilliant restaurants that have gone past that phase of being derivative and feeling like they're just Dublin's version of Berlin or New York Great chefs. We're coming into second, third generation of great chefs, bringing really zippy ideas. Um, you've seen that creativity and how people have responded to the pandemic. But this pandemic has really kicked the whole food scene in the stomach. And, and I really fear for how it will come back. But yeah, so food and, and it's it's just it globally, you know, you think about everything that's happened in those 10 or 20 years in that generation with Michelin stars, Michelin becoming more diverse, the, the world's 50 best list, explosive food scenes in London, in places like Tokyo, wresting control of food away from France <laughs> to other places. And also this big rebirth, we've had a casual food. Like if you think about just the pleasure of eating sticky barbecue ribs in 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 Brixton or in Texas or that that fresh plate of seafood we spoke about in whether well, it's that you know Helen's mussels on the Barra 
or it's it's as fresh sushi in in the market in Tokyo that 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 purity we're less afraid of food and exactly. I think you know a lot of um food is on TV a lot of celebrity chefs it's all over you know Netflix so we're 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 much more into engaging with it yeah. it's, it's funny you say that because that's something I mean I've always loved food but over this lockdown I had been watching I, I went through a phase where I was watching a lot of travel shows and food shows and any foreign film just to see foreign countries. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to be much more imaginative when I do travel again. You know what I mean? The local dishes, I need to be, you know, I am, I'm pretty good, but I need to go up another level, I think, to really yeah. go for what's local. I think so. I mean, there's, you'll always find you get tired on your travels and there'll always be a night or two where you just want what you know and you just you just don't want to have to try something new. And that's fine. You know, travel has to be a rest too. But I really, really, really make a, an effort. And it's partly because I'm writing about it and, and I want to promote what's local. But whenever I'm traveling, even in, especially in Ireland, I always order local beer, ask what on the menu was produced locally, what's a speciality locally, where did these this veg comes from? The the servers must be so annoyed when they see this one guy with his notebook sitting down at the table at the back going, and is that lamb in season? And do you know and, and who did those veg? And I'm just curious because when you're writing about a dish, you can't just say I had a steak. True. You have true. to say you you know, you bring a landscape and a place to life by say by telling where it came from. And about the, you know, was there a foraged ingredient from the mountain across the road that you just walked on that day? Did you see the fishermen bring in the fish to the little harbour? Um, what what did uh, the lady say about the mussels as she put them on the plate in front of you? That's what lifts a place, that kind of detail. And so food is just, food is like a, a place on a plate. It tells a story. And what's beautiful about it is you just eat it and you go. It's not, you know, it's just a once-off. No one else has that dish. Uh, it's just you. It's just perfect. It's funny. I've been doing a bit, of, a lot of cooking actually as well during lockdown, but I did a Greek dish, which my family all ate when we were on holidays in mm. Greece, but they didn't really eat it <laughs> in Clamel <laughs> for, for some reason, you know. It's, never, it's, it's like a, the wine. You know, it tastes lovely when you're in the country. Yeah. But but isn't that what makes it kind of doubly special is that it's fleeting and and it's it's not a it's not replicable uh it kind of that that transitory nature of it is just is is what's lovely about life i i I did exactly the same thing we had a holiday in sicily where we all got obsessed with this pasta dish called pasta alla norma and it's an extremely simple dish uh aubergine basil ricotta salata tomatoes pasta and and there's a whole story behind it that it reflects mount etna the volcano the the aubergine is the basalt rock and the tomatoes are the lava and the ricotta salada cheese is the snow on top and we we ate it in so many places and we're infatuated with it and of course the minute i tried to reproduce it at home it was like what's this (laughs) did this come out of a tin because uh, you couldn't get the, the the same fresh ingredients, you couldn't get the the proper cheese. I tried to substitute something else, and you know, so I just decided to look. This one is a memory, and this one is something I look forward to going back to. <laughs> I did. I, I um, was in Puglia. I've been there a few times. Actually, it's one of my favorite places. Because oh, and actually, I, it took me a while to figure out this because it reminds me of Greece. But um, on my last time I was there, I uh, 
kind of nearly every day was having spaghetti vongoli, trying to find the ultimate spaghetti vongoli. And I did find it. But uh, recently, for the last two years, I've been trying to get clams, my local yeah. fishmonger, and he couldn't get it. But anyway, a few weeks ago, he got it and I did it at home. But it just didn't taste the same, you know. Did it not? <laughs> well, you know, maybe there's a... We're kind of like our, a bit, there's a touch of the Irish food scene in microcosm here because I do think we went through a phase where we tried to reproduce and we tried to say, this is your fine French restaurant and this is your American burger bar. But I think the new confidence and the new departure, one of them has been that people say, right, we can take a learning and we can take an influence, but now let's bring the Irishness to it. Let's make it our own. Let's, you know, let's embrace fusion let's let's make our own breads make our own pizzas make our own pastas but put the irish ingredients on it um you know take the the toonsbury's mozzarella for our pizza whatever it is don't try and make it neapolitan pizza because why you can't make it an irish pizza with irish ingredients and i think that's where we've suddenly felt liberated and unafraid of food and it's just a great thing because the more interest and the more we explore food I think it only leads to to health and enjoyment and togetherness and meals together and and that's uh, that's all a good thing. You're right. Like my favorite thing is um, uh, being in Liscanner, the anchor in Liscanner, and having oysters and a pint of Guinness, and you can taste the Atlantic. You know, it's like you're mm. drinking the Atlantic. So you know, we have that as well in our country. Yeah, that's beautifully described. And I, I, I can think of different places. I mean, Castanbear and Bear at same thing. In uh, Anagassan, in Ca- the Glide in there, having seafood by the sea in County Louth. It's just, there's something about it. And we can do that. You don't have to be in the Algarve. You don't have to be in the Indian Ocean to eat snap fresh, world-class seafood, you know, just brought yards up from the shore. That's somewhere we really can compete on. My second last question is just, is there anywhere on, the, on your bucket list that you haven't been to? Oh, there is. I could basically write down everywhere I've been and everywhere else is on the bucket list. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I, I have so many places I want to get to in Ireland as well. I'll be visiting the, the Sperrins in County Tyrone um, in a couple of weeks when it's safe to get up there again. I have a lovely feature to write about that area. And it's it's interesting. It's one place on the island of ireland where i think if you ask people to put a pin in a map and show you where they were and this includes me now uh, before i did the research i'm not sure they'd be able to say so i'm really it's in tyrone it's a huge mountain range with lots of interesting walking glacial landscapes history interesting food scene developing so look that's that's a feature that's on the cards uh i i had a trip organized to the seychelles um which I had to cancel. And that was, that was a real kind of once in a lifetime when your job is great kind of a thing. And uh, so I'd love to get back there in the future, but um, yeah, God, I, I'm just, I know. I'm open to everywhere. Really. Yeah. <laughs> it's a long bucket list, put it that way. So my last question that I ask everybody is if you close your eyes and take four deep breaths, Allow yourself to think of your happy place from your travels and where would that be and why? Okay, so I have, so rather than a place, what comes to mind for me is a sense of togetherness. 
a lot of the travel that I do is on my own and I'm exploring by myself and moving at my own pace. But what this year has brought home to me that I'm missing is just that sense of being together on a trip, not having to work with family, with grandparents, sharing a moment, um, catching up on missed occasions, you know, stupid birthday celebrations over Zoom calls, great and all as they were, they're not a replacement for the real thing. I'm caught, I'm brought back to, uh, and I wrote about this recently, a vineyard in Sicily where we all sat down, six of us, no great plan, um, were served up fresh pasta. I remember the pasta a la Norma as well, caponata, wine that was roughly seven euro a bottle, hearing Italian spoken around us, uh, just watching the family tick over. I remember my son was six and his tooth came out and it was nothing earth shattering. It was just an afternoon with the sun on our backs and um, fresh food, uh, Italian accents and then off afterwards for a nap and a swim. And it's just simplicity and togetherness. So that's that's what I miss, what I want. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Being with family, sharing. I love that. Thank you, Paul, for that lovely chat. I think you can see from this episode that Paul has a deep, genuine love of travel. And we have another person whose love of travel shines through this Thursday when Holly Rubinstein from the UK's number one travel podcast, The Travel Diaries, speaks to me about her travels. I would ask if you could please subscribe to Apple Podcast so a new episode will appear in your library every week. I would also really appreciate if you could leave a rating and a review as it helps others to discover this podcast. To find out who's on every Tuesday, please follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Travel Tales with Fergal. Stay safe and keep dreaming of future travels. Travel Tales with Virgo.